Good evening, Avalanche fans and NH fans, NHL fans across the Colorado area. My name is Scott Cole. I'm here with Greg Donda for another edition of In the Crease Hockey. This is our seventh episode of the 2021 year, and we are covering some NHL and Colorado Avalanche breaking news um, that's occurred in the last week. Uh, first off, Greg, how are you doing this week? Doing well, man. Doing well. Excited to be here. Excited to finally see the Avs getting back on the ice. That will be huge. It has been way too long for a uh, middle-of-the-season moment like this. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I totally hear you. And it does. And it comes at a pretty great time. Here it is. Uh, uh, we're recording on February 13th, the day before Valentine's Day. And to show a little love and appreciation to all the Avalanche fans out there, the Avalanche are returning to hockey uh, against the Vegas Golden Knights on Valentine's Day start of their four-game series. But uh, before we head into that, we're going to dive back into some happenings in the in the world of hockey in the past week, starting with um, February 7th, uh, the passing of Ralph Backstrom. Uh, passed away at the age of 83 and has done a tremendous amount for the world of hockey and Colorado hockey in general. Um, for those of you who don't know, Ralph Backstrom was the founder of the Colorado Eagles, who uh, came into the ECHL or, or the uh, CHL um, to start in the 2002 season. And uh, Ralph was a big part of that and was their president and GM for uh, the 2003 to 2007 season. Um, did a little research on him, and apparently Ralph was a big, big-time person in his... Uh, in, in the hockey community, he uh, spent 53 of his 83 years within the world of hockey, um, including a 15-year career in the NHL with teams like the Montreal Canadiens, the LA Kings, and the mm -hmm. Chicago Blackhawks, a six-time uh, Stanley Cup champion himself with the Montreal Canadiens, and a Calder Cup trophy winner in his uh, first season, which I believe was in 1959. Uh, that's uh, big time stuff for for somebody like Ralph Backstrom, and for him to um, take his talents from being a player and to uh, help create the the team that we love up in Loveland, just north of uh, north of Denver, uh, with the Colorado Eagles is quite impressive. Uh, and uh, Eagles just got started tonight. But uh, what do you know about uh, Mr. Backstrom there, Greg? Yeah, that's uh, it's a huge loss, and every time that you know someone with his his pedigree you know passes on, it's it's always huge, especially for for what he did here in Colorado. I mean, on top of everything he's done for the Eagles, he was also a, a coach in the NCAA for 15 years, um, including stints both as the assistant coach and the head coach of the DU Pioneers. Um, he took us, I know, to the uh, Frozen Four in 1986. Um, I believe won a um, championship with them as well. But yeah, it's, it's a huge loss. We definitely uh, send all of our regards to his, his family and his friends and, uh, you know, wish them the best in, in um, you know, kind of recovering from this. Uh, thankfully, he had a, a long, very impressive life. So, you know, it's uh, definitely big. A very long and healthy life indeed. And what he's managed to do for the world of, uh, uh, across you know the entire world with the sport of hockey has been pretty impressive. I mean, not only did he have a 15-year career with the NHL, winning the six Stanley Cups that I had mentioned, and 
being a Calder Trophy uh, a winner as well. Um, this guy spent four four seasons after that in the the World Hockey Association and was a four time All Star in that league. And as you said, had a pretty solid career as a coach, not only at the NCAA level with the DU Pioneers, but at the NHL level and other professional levels as well. Um, his 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 footprint, his handprints are all over the world of hockey. Um, not only was he the founder of the Colorado Eagles in 2002, he was also the co-founder of the Roller, Roller Hockey International um, back in, what did I find, uh, 1992. So, um, you know, 10 years prior to the Colorado, Colorado Eagles, he, you know, helped establish the professional world of roller hockey. Um, and a lot of those rules and systems are still in, still in place, uh, as of today. So quite impressive for somebody, um, in his 53 years, he retired. He officially retired in 2007. His last professional job was as the president and GM of the Colorado Eagles. And in that time, um, the Colorado Eagles um, won uh, the President's Cup uh, championship in the, in the CHL in 2005 and in his final year of 2007. Um, uh, the, the, yeah, the Ray Marone President's Cup. Uh, they were three-time regular season t- champs, uh, five conference titles, six division titles in his uh, time as a president and GM with the Eagles before they moved, before they became an expansion team in uh, May of 2011 for the ECHL. Uh, the ECHL level Colorado Eagles, they stayed there for a total of, uh, I believe, seven or eight seasons. Eight seasons, I think is what it is. And... Uh, didn't really make any waves or anything until their uh, 2017 and 2018 seasons where they were back-to-back champions and won the Kelly Cup. And for those of us that know the Colorado Eagles and the story of the Kelly Cup, it's quite entertaining. Um, After winning the 2018 Kelly Cup, the Colorado Eagles uh, were in their second year of an affiliation with the Colorado Avalanche and the San Antonio Rampage and were granted the... um, an expansion, uh, an expansion to join the um, the AHL. That was the same year that the Las Vegas Golden Knights joined the NHL and were given the opportunity to, to create an expansion team for the AHL, but passed it, um, deciding to pick up another pick up a team that was already established with the uh, Chicago Wolves, I believe. So other teams were given the opportunity to, to jump on it. And the Avs were one of those teams because they shared the San Antonio Rampage um, affiliation with the uh, St. Louis Blues at the time. Um, but uh, back to Ralph Backstrom real quick. Um, he did get award. He did get awarded in um, two thousand eight, I believe. Got to find it in my notes here real quick. I wrote it down somewhere. Uh, Oh, yes, he was elected to Colorado Sports Hall of Fame in 2008. And then in 2013, the ECHL reached out to him and gave him the Lifetime Achievement Award um, for his career uh, as a a player, a coach, and his his ability to help grow the sport of hockey. So um, thank you, Ralph Baxter, for what you've done for 
not just Colorado hockey in general, but what you've done for the sport of hockey overall and your marvelous career as an NHL player and uh, as a head coach for the DU Pioneers and the other teams out there. Um, with that being said, we are going to move on to the upcoming week of hockey for Colorado in general. Um, just before we started this podcast, the Colorado Eagles of the AHL officially started their season. And Greg, I think you told me uh, so far it looks like it's only going to be a 36-game season. Yeah, that's correct. So far, that's all they've got on the schedule. Um, I know the season was supposed to start, I believe, a week or two ago. And it kept getting pushed back, uh, trying to figure out what's going on with those games, if they've been rescheduled already or if they're just dropping them for now. Yeah, uh, I think yeah, I read something. I think I read something about uh, one of the teams they were scheduled to play. It was getting moved around to another uh, division or another league or something. So they had Correct. to reschedule some games. Uh, very unfortunate, but uh, I think uh, the timing worked out if we're looking at just the Colorado uh, aspect of it, because they could still tinker with those uh, those AHL rosters and the taxi squad movements that affect the NHL um, roster and cap space. Um, we saw some of those movements happen um, yesterday, Friday, February 12th, in regards to kind of find what should be the finalization of taxi squad movements and uh, AHL roster space, I don't think we're going to see quite as many uh, transactions happening, uh, moving players from the AHL roster to the taxi squad, unless there's just some really, really significant um, long-term injuries that occur. Uh, I know some of those names were, I think we saw Greg Pattern get moved down to the AHL roster. Um, Martin Kaut was officially moved down to the AHL roster. He'll get tons of playing time there and uh, try to try to keep him hidden off of radars for the upcoming expansion draft that's going to happen for the NHL July 21st. Uh, you may see Martin Kaut more, more officially in the 2021-22 uh, season with the Avalanche. Um, some of the names that I did see get called back up and are probably going to stay with us. Jason Magna, we'll finally see him with the abs, at least in the taxi squad sense. Maybe he'll get some playing times while, while uh, Tyson Jost and Gabriel Landeskog remain in COVID protocol. Uh, Jacob McDonald on the defensive side of things. Miko um, uh, Salamaki's probably going to get some playing time. We'll see how it goes. But uh, any other names that were called up that uh, you saw as uh, – an interesting piece right there, Greg. Yeah, uh, TJ Tynan uh, is really one of the big ones for me. Uh, we've seen him multiple times over the years with the abs, and uh, he always seems to make the most of the, the time that he's given. Um, and every time I've watched a game that he's been a part of, he, uh, he really makes his presence known. He, You hear his name a lot through the broadcast as you know, someone who's, <clears throat> excuse me, who's getting involved in the play and just doing uh, – doing overall positive things for the squad, which is obviously what we want to see, especially for call-ups. You know, you never really expect anyone to come up and be a superstar, but you always hope that they can contribute in some way. He's always seemed to, to do that. So it's good to see him sticking with the, the taxi squad, so we might get to see him a bit here throughout the season. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and I, I think we'll get a chance to see him play in this four-game series that we're uh, going into against the Vegas Golden Knights as uh, – 
not everybody that was on the injury or the COVID list is returning to play. Um, the great news that I think a lot of Avalanche fans are happy to see is uh, their star elite player, Nathan McKinnon, is hitting the ice again. Um, and he says he feels great and he's ready to go. And some of the other th other news that came out with Nathan McKinnon was um, he now has his face on a personally branded cereal. And he was... He was uh, approached by Gatorade as one of their one of their uh, athlete endorsements. So Nathan McKinnon is now uh, uh, got a sponsorship and endorsement with Gatorade, which is kind of cool to see. And I can't wait to kind of see uh, um, how they're gonna do that with the COVID stuff and everything, and not kind of you know do anything unnecessary that's gonna you know possibly uh, frustrate some some you know nhl officials but uh, i'd be interested to see a, a future commercial feature, featuring nathan mckinnon and some other people on, on a in a hockey perspective so uh we'll keep our eyes out for that and if we see anything we'll we'll share it to the rocky mountain sports report group uh for uh everybody to check out and some of the other uh, avalanche groups we're in um so the other two names that are coming back from injury devin taze who took that puck off the puck off the skate um kind of banged up that foot a little bit but nice to see him back out there and uh eric johnson kind of gave uh devin tay some props he's like i didn't know he was this good um i think a lot of people weren't expecting him to be this good you gotta take it into consideration greg it's his it's only his third year of hockey in the nhl arena yeah that's absolutely right i i remember when when it was announced that he had gotten signed by the abs i was i was pleasantly surprised because i kept an eye on the the Islanders during the um, the playoff bubble there, and he just always kind of seemed to to be a, a leader on the team. He, you know, as they they were saying, he's kind of quarterback to the the power play, and so it was like, okay, you know, this could be a, a pretty big signing. But yeah, he just came out and just kind of blew us all away. I, I've been really impressed with his play. It was you know, unfortunate to hear him go down with that injury, but and you know, just seeing what he's done so far, it's been very impressive. I'm, I'm glad he's back. I think we're all glad to see him back. I mean, and you brought it up yourself. I mean, this this uh, Devin Tay shows great leadership and great ability to you know kind of lead the charge on that second unit of the power play um, with Kale McCarr leading that first group, and uh, I think it kind of it kind of gives the Avs some flexibility um, throughout the season and then uh, come the off season as to what they might do. Um, Eric Johnson, you know, he's been a staple with this team, and we've talked about it in the past, I believe. Does Eric Johnson remain with the Avalanche after this season? Does he become a a, a trade piece, or does he waive his no-movement clause um, in order to give the Avs the opportunity to not have to protect him going into the expansion draft? You know, yeah. uh, the, the, the difference between Taze and Johnson uh, as far as the professional hockey player, the leadership and stuff is the fact that one, Eric Johnson wears that assistance captain's patch on his, on his chest. And the only other difference is the, the money the abs would be saving, uh, and losing Johnson and keeping taste 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 is playing at a $4.1 million a year average. Whereas Johnson's playing at that $6 million, uh, a year average, uh, which could be used to sign players like Kale McCarr, Gabriel Landeskog to some longer term contracts, not to mention, um, you know, 
you know, future prospects or like Brandon Saad, who's only here for on a year deal. Um, that was the end of his contract that we picked up from Chicago. So there's a, a lot of moving pieces, and hopefully as the season progresses, we can uh, kind of piggyback on those things and see what the Avs decide to do. And uh, hopefully it's nothing but good news. I don't want us to lose any of the, you know, this, these core talent pieces that we've got going on in place right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, the big thing with me is that expansion draft. I mean, I, I guarantee Seattle's just sitting there, just staring at at us and Vegas and Boston, and just yeah, they're just they're licking their lips, going, "Oh man, look at all these these players that we'll have a potential to grab." So yeah, yeah. If if EJ does does waive that no movement clause, that would be huge in protecting a player like uh, Devon Taves or Sam Gerrard, or you know, just keeping somebody else around that that otherwise would just be a massive loss to a team like Seattle. Absolutely. Uh, and another thing we touched on off the air uh, was the depth that the Avalanche have at their defensive position. Um, I, I, I feel the Avs might be one of those teams that just protects a certain number of skaters and leaves a fair amount of their defensive, you know, outside of two or three defensive players, leaves a, a strong amount of their defensive players exposed um, in this upcoming expansion draft. Um but the final player that is coming back from injury and one that I am pleasantly surprised to see return considering the impact and how bad that injury looked is Pierre-Edouard Belmar. He took a nasty hit to that knee in a game against the San Jose Sharks, and it looked like he may he might have been joining Pavel Francois on that long-term injury report. But uh, it appears that he's skating well, he feels healthy, and he's ready to return. And that's a big boost to those bottom two lines that the Avalanche are so prominent with and uh, have been just a huge, huge um, uh, piece in helping the Avalanche maintain their their uh, their strength and their ability to win games through that um, injury window. Absolutely, yeah. I think anybody who kind of watched that game, we all you know had a collective cringe of, oh my God, this could be just devastating it could be months before he's back with as, as brutal as that hit looked could have been season ending I, I i honestly thought it was close to a season ending injury I, yeah i did too honestly and it just it, it looks so bad and anytime you talk about something especially with with hockey players you know any sport your your legs are really usually the most important part of your body in, in any sport especially hockey i mean the the moves that you make in it just if you don't have that stability at your knee, you're, you're done for. And to see something that big happen to his knee was just, oh, God, yeah, it was terrifying. I was right there with you. I thought he, he may have been done for the season, which, <laughs> thank God he's not. Thank God he's yeah. back. It's nice to see him back on the ice, and uh, hopefully um, he does pretty well facing his uh, former team in the Vegas Golden Knights in these upcoming four games. Uh, I think he's yep. going to be a big focal point in, uh, with some of the young talent that's going to be playing in these next four games, as uh, we still have some players that are out due to the COVID uh, protocol. Uh, Captain Gabriel Landeskog was uh, first mentioned, or I believe he was the second person mentioned, as Tyson Joseph was the first. And then uh, a few days later, uh, Samuel Girard was added to that report as well. Um, the NHL protocol on that is that these players will quarantine for at least 10 days before they get cardio tested. And as long as they've tested negative, They'll go into that cardio testing protocol, and as long as they perform well there, then they can kind of resume uh, practicing with the team. Um, and then from there, I think it's a 
um, an additional four to five days uh, at, as long as they're participating in practice before they can return to uh, um, being a game time decision as far as the roster setup and as long as the teams meet salary cap restrictions due to the, the, the issues with the taxi squad and everything, we should see them. Um, with that being said, uh, the chances of us seeing uh, Landy, Jost, or Gerard in any of these four games against the Vegas Golden Knights are extremely slim. Um, I say we wouldn't expect them until maybe the game on Jan on February 22nd. Excuse me, I almost said January there. It's clearly February. Um, I don't want to backtrack. <laughs> but uh, with... Uh, with that being said, I, I don't think we'll see them until that, that fourth game against uh, um, the Vegas Golden Knights. And if anybody, it may only be Tyson Jost that we see in that game. Landeskog and Gerard may not get clearance until after that series is over and uh, we move on to our next uh, set of games. Um, last but not least, the final injury, and he's a fan favorite. He's one of my favorites, Matt Calvert. Uh, Matt Calvert has been seeking outside opinions from team doctors and um, whatnot due to his ongoing uh, issue with his, uh, I want to say it's like migraines or concussion-related symptoms, uh, as he uh, has been wearing that pink visor this season and is dealing with some some pretty you know personal personal injuries that he's just trying to work through. So uh, with uh, NHL regulations in regards to potential exposure and stuff like that. He's had to quarantine because he's done some travel outside of uh, team travel and everything else to seek those outside opinions. Um, but they're saying that he may return to practice and skate on his own just to try to get used to things and do some conditioning uh, with like a, a, a one of the team coaches or assistants uh, and just to see how he's feeling. And that should be um, tomorrow. I believe he did travel with the team today. So he's gone with them down to uh, the Vegas, to the T-Mobile Arena. And uh, hopefully uh, Coach Jared Bednar, in, uh, after practice tomorrow or sometime on Monday, can provide the Avs, uh, the Avs media with some uh, updates on players like Calvert. But I'm, I'm happy to see he's potentially making his way back in skating again. What about you, Greg? Yeah, same. It was, it was a, a joy to see that he had traveled with the team. Um, I, I hope he'll be available, but obviously uh, it's just fingers crossed at this point. I'm sure it'll, it'll probably take a, a bit longer. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's huge. I, we talked a, a little bit about it last week. You know, sports are finally starting to, um, professional sports are, are finally starting to kind of take these these concussion um, injuries a little more seriously, and it's. It's been rough, you know. We've seen the the type of devastation it's done to uh, former NFL players, and you know, the, still learning all the the long term effects. We just it'd be so nice if if uh, you know they could get away from it. Hopefully, it's it's not going to affect him permanently. Although it you know it shows already that it definitely has some sort of effect with him uh, needing the visor that he's wearing, and. You know, I, like you said uh, last week, I want him on the ice. I want him with the team, but I want him healthy and I want him safe. You know, above all else, he's a human, and, and I, I, I always hope for him to be healthy and be okay. So, 
you know, we'll, we'll see what happens and I'll always have my fingers crossed that he's all right. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's always a, a big plus whenever he's on the ice with the abs. So seeing that he's coming back is, is welcome news for sure. Absolutely. As, as fans, we really want to see our favorite players on the ice, regardless of, uh, their their status as an elite player or just like one of those grunge players uh, that you see on the ice. But at the same time, um, like as you pointed out, Greg, these are other human beings. They have their own lives outside of the sport that they uh, that they get paid to play. And, you know, uh, such an honor for anybody to be able to play the sport that they've grown up playing and get paid to do so. Um, uh, it's a joy to watch the sport at a professional level and, Trust me, if I had gotten into hockey back when I was like three or four, I wish I was as good as these guys. Um, it, it's it's truly incredible. Uh, and I wish Calvert nothing but the best on his recovery. And hopefully we get to see him on the ice um, sooner rather than later. But um, kind of the same issue that uh, Colin Wilson was dealing with and the reason why he retired from uh, the sports of hockey was a mental illness or injury of some sort. And uh, uh, if... If anything, I will say that the Colorado Avalanche as an organization are a very classy organization and are willing to work with their players and their various injuries, regardless of it happened with them while they were playing with them or if it was something that's been lingering for uh, several years. So uh, no, nothing but the best for Calvert, and I hope he's able to join the Avs in the future and hopefully help them win and I, I pray to the hockey gods bring a Stanley Cup back to the Mile High City. Um, on that note, we'll jump over to the latest edition of the COVID protocols that the NHL has put in place and discuss some of that information. Um, mm -hmm. I believe it was yesterday the NHL and the Players Association came out and said they were enacting several additional um COVID protocols um, to help cut down on the number of cases that have occurred. Um, as most of us know, every single division in hockey, with the exception of the North Division, which is the Canadian teams, have had postponements because of COVID-related cases um, in, on several teams, uh, the Avalanche being one of them. Um, a few things that they are doing is... The NHL is now implementing uh, rapid testing. Uh, as we discussed off-air, Greg, this was an issue um, for the teams because they couldn't um, find um, a company to produce the tests uh, in a fast enough uh, to provide that resource fast enough so that they could do rapid testing before games. Um, they, were, they were testing before games, but it was taking roughly... 24 hours to get that turnaround done on whether those tests came back negative or positive. Um, and in those cases, um, that I think that we saw that what, that's why it was such a big deal with the uh, Minnesota games uh, and that back-to-back -back series that the abs had in Minnesota was they tested somebody on the game on Saturday. Um, results didn't come back until after the game on Sunday and uh, they show positive cases, and then once they get that positive case, the NHL starts their contact tracing protocol. So I guess the, the, the hope now is that these rapid testing, uh, for those of you who know, the rapid testing takes about 
at least the one I do for my job, takes about 15 minutes to come back with a negative or positive, you know, um, test result. Um, it's not a hundred, it's not a hundred percent accurate, but it does provide kind of a precursor if that person's been exposed to COVID-19 or COVID at all and can, uh, you know, the hope is for the NHL drastically reduce those, those, uh, those numbers overall. Um, the, uh, the other two things I'll, I'll mix these two in and then I'll get your opinion on that real quick, Greg, is, um, Effective immediately, the NHL has implemented that players, coaches, assistants, uh, anybody who's affiliated with the teams are to effective immediately start a work-home quarantine. What this means is you come to the rink, you do your job, you go home, you stay home. Um, outside of, you know, going for solo workouts or, um, um, solo interactions. They're encouraging players to use uh, home delivery services for groceries and stuff like that. If you got to take a, a, you know, if you have children that they're, go to, that they're going to school, you can take them to school, but you come right back home. We're not doing special appearances. We're not doing special, you know, special interest things. Um, all those kind of, all those charity things have all been put on hold for now. Um, and the NHL expects people to follow this protocol to a T. Not only that, uh, they're asking spouses and you know significant others to follow this same protocol, um, just to help protect the athletes and everybody. And then um, uh, I believe they have uh, effective immediately asked a team, and they've worked with teams and worked with a production group um, to or manufacturing group to have N95 masks available for uh, uh, players and coaches and assistants to start. And then uh, once they can get that established, they're going to move out and branch out to uh, the next wave of people involved with, with teams. What, what's your, uh, what's your opinion on that? You think this was uh, something that should have been addressed before the season started, or is this just something they kind of were like, all right, you know, we've been working on it and now we really got to start pushing and getting this stuff done. Yeah, it, it's definitely something I wish would have been um, addressed and taken care of before the season. Obviously, like with everything in, in the world right now, it's a lot of just kind of seeing what happens and reacting. Um, you know, it's unfortunate because it, it leads to situations like teams getting shut down as we've had to deal with and had to see other teams around the league deal with. Um, the, the, you know, the big thing to me was the rapid testing. Because I know... In the NFL and the NBA, they were able to secure, um, you know, the, the required uh, tests in order to be able to do it before every game. And it's just, it, it's kind of weird to me that the NHL wasn't. You know, I'm not sure if it was, I'm not going to speculate, I don't want to put anything out there like that, but I don't know if it was something like a, just kind of a, an overlook or, um, you know, just being unable to find a, a company to provide those. Uh, but it's it's good that they finally were able to do so so that they could start getting rapid testing to all the, the teams to be able to do this. Um, you know, as far as the mask, it's, it's kind of been, you know, again, read and react. You know, we've seen uh, the CDC changing guidelines. And so I think it's all just, you know, kind of going along the, the lines that, that we're seeing everywhere of well 
this information is now out, so we got to change some things, and and hopefully it just works. Yeah, that's that's, that's my hopes above all else is that it works, and we're able to get over this because man, I want to get back to the rink. Oh, I absolutely hear you, man. Uh, you brought you brought up a good point. You know, the the NFL and the NBA they were able to secure rapid testing without much of an issue or anything else like that. Uh, but why wasn't the NHL able to do that? And you know, I, I know you're not one for like wanting to speculate or really you know just put out random rumors or something. But it brings up a brings up an interesting thing. And I got to thinking about it. You know. Is it because of the effect, the, the 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 amount of attention or the 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 draw that the NFL or the NBA gets as far as like a TV viewership versus what the NHL might get? You know, are our manufacturers or something more willing to work with the the NFL and the NBA because of the 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 the, the financial gain they get from it versus the NHL based on their viewership numbers? Or, you know, was it just a pure, like you said, a pure oversight by the NHL, uh, you know, management, management and front, you know, front office personnel and the, the Players Association on something that, you know, no side really thought, that, oh, we did so well on the bubble, you know, it's not going to be an issue, blah, blah, blah. And then lo and behold, oh, it really is an issue. We were just, you know, Canadian policy was just that much better than what it is here in, in, in the United States. So it's an interesting question. And, you know, um, for me, it's an interesting, it's an interesting view. I know a lot of like the general fans and stuff are just like, I just want hockey. I don't care how it happens. Just give me my hockey. Uh, so, but thankfully, like we were saying, uh, the avalanche are back in action tomorrow. I believe it's a 5 PM game start time. Um, and then uh, we have a game on Tuesday. Then we have three days off, and it's February twentieth. That is the game that is on everybody's schedule for numerous reasons. Number one, it's a one o'clock game at Lake Tahoe. Uh, I shared. Uh, if you guys didn't see it, there's a post up on Twitter. It's on the Bleacher Bleacher Report on the Avalanche um, main page. You can scroll down through it, and it's uh, the NHL. Uh, uh, facilities people setting up the rink at on that that 18th green at Lake Tahoe. It's just like a, it's a, you know, it's a process setting up a rink like that, man. And it's starting to take shape. And I can't wait to see the final product when it's all said and done, and some of the camera angles they're going to be able to provide at this uh, this arena. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was lucky enough to go to the game last year at uh, the Air Force, and. I got to say, I, I grew up playing hockey outdoors. Um, that's uh, my home rink was actually an outdoor rink. So it's always held, held a really special place in my heart you know, when they started doing it for the pros of starting to play games outdoors. And so I always love when these games come around. You know, it's always a, a good mm -hmm. kind of throwback to, to growing up. And, and I know some of the players these days, you know, a lot of them kind of start off uh, almost being bred in a way for the NHL, so they kind of get the, the the nice facilities from the start. But some of them, depending on where they're from, also got to play outdoors. So I know it's a, oh, yeah. a real joy for them. Um, and the cool thing for me, what I really want to see is if this will just be kind of a one-time thing. Um, you know, I'm sure, obviously, with the the current situation, uh, having a, a more centralized 
location for multiple games um, is obviously a lot more doable, a lot more, a lot better of an idea for now. But I'm kind of interested to see if this might catch on as something that, that ends up happening throughout the upcoming years. If they start to decide, hey, you know, maybe we can do something, you know, for like a, a Lake Tahoe or, um, you know, anywhere else throughout the U.S. of just having a centralized location where they play multiple outdoor games and have fans travel there. I, I honestly would be for that. I think that would be really neat. It'd be kind of a shame if it's you know, a really far uh, uh, travel time for someone to see their team play. But I just think it'd be cool to do something like that and then, you know, sell tickets of, you know, you, you can pay for, for different tickets for, for each game that's there. So then that way, you know, you can go and potentially watch, you know, four or five outdoor games in, in a couple days. You know, I, I would be really for that. I think that'd be a really neat thing for the NHL to look into, and I hope they do. I yeah, have, that... I have no information about it, but I really hope that's something that they kind of take into consideration because I'd absolutely be for it. I, I'm, I'm down with that, man. I, I feel you on that one. I, I look at that and, I you know, a couple of places come to mind already. You know, you've got like Vancouver seems like one of those travel destinations I would definitely go to if they could work something out with like Salt Lake City in Utah to 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 set something up there for like some outdoor games. Um, you know, you know Michigan. I know not necessarily like on the Great Lakes or like but like by the Great Lakes or something like that would be kind of a cool backdrop to see. Uh, you know you know several canadian towns come to mind on on doing some of these outdoor rink games and stuff like that and you Absolutely. know like you said just like you know oh we're you know it's uh here's the weekend you know we we have a we have a 3 day window where we're going to set up you know five six you know two games a day six games uh, these are the teams we're inviting um and these are the ticket packages you know maybe some hotel deals and stuff like that I, Dude, I'm totally down for that. I mean, it's the same thing as like last, you know, um, last year when the Tokyo, you know, when they started announcing uh, in 2019, the Tokyo Olympics of 2020, I was like, man, I've been to Japan before. I really want to go again. And this would be like the perfect opportunity to go like buy a package deal to see a bunch of the Olympic stuff happening in Tokyo. I mean, it's, it's such a cool draw um, yeah. to kind of see that kind of stuff. But um, more, more on the Olympics here shortly and how it might affect the, uh, uh, the NHL and everything, but, uh, back to the Lake Tahoe game. Um, the other cool thing about the February 20th game is it is the first official game that we get to see the Avalanche in their reverse retro uniforms, wearing the old Quebec Nordiques logo with the current Avalanche burgundy colors. And I, for one, am super, super pumped. To see this this uniform in action on the ice, on a backdrop, especially like Lake Tahoe, but um, there are several other games scheduled for the Abs to wear these uh, these reverse retro uniforms. But I can't, I just can't wait to see them in action. Ah, oh, same, same. I've been drooling over them ever since they were announced and ever since they were released. They're just beautiful. Uh, and. For those of you who don't know, the, the Colorado Avalanche history wouldn't be possible without what uh, was started in, in Quebec with the Nordiques. Uh, such a classy organization, um, such an amazing organization in their time uh, in Quebec. And when they came to uh, the Colorado, came to Colorado, they took on the um, the the title of the Colorado Avalanche and have since become such a you know, an amazing part of this town's history and championships and everything else like that. 
these retro jerseys are just amazing to look at and phenomenal. Um, uh, again, with the uh, with the uniform changes this year, them going to the 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 the, the blue pants and and gloves and helmet. Uh, the retro jersey is all white with the burgundy trim and the Florida Lees, that burgundy color as well, along with the numbers. But the, the, the pants, the socks, the helmets and gloves are all that, that burgundy red color. And I mean, I think I've seen pictures of it and it looks just absolutely amazing. But what I really want to see is Nathan McKinnon flying into the offensive zone, scoring a goal. Just with, you know, just the breeze going by the jersey and just, just rippling a little bit. Um, it, oh, yeah. sure to be sweet, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm salivating just thinking about it. I'm like, man, these, it's just going to be an awesome time to see these jerseys in action, uh, middle of the afternoon at Lake Tahoe. Um, so looking forward to it and watching the Columbus and Chicago game. They just showed a nice little shot of Nikita Zadorov on an icing call, throwing the puck to the ref. So there's our, uh, former Av reference right there for everybody. Um, so a couple more things and we'll start wrapping it up. Uh, uh, I said, I would go back to the Tokyo Olympics and how that might affect the NHL season. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware, the Tokyo 2020 Olympics were postponed last year due to COVID, but, uh, NBC does have a contract obligation and they are planning on hosting the Olympics this summer, uh, 2021, so that they don't throw off any future Olympic events, especially with the 2022 Winter Olympics and then the uh, 2024 Summer Olympics. They want to try and keep everything on schedule, especially for these athletes who have, uh, were ramping up and getting ready for the Olympics, and then all of a sudden, nothing was available. So, um, the uh, Olympic coverage, are, I believe, are set to start in July, or shortly after the... Uh, the NHL season is supposed to end, but the question remains: the what do the what does the Avalanche do, or not the Avalanche, but the NHL in general do with a lot of these uh these postponements? I mean, you've had New Jersey, uh, Florida, Dallas, the us, the Colorado Avalanche, the Vegas Golden Knights, um, New York, and several other teams affected by this uh, this COVID issue, and it's caused a delay in games. I think the Avalanche have now missed. Uh, at least four, at least three or four games right now yeah, on their uh, schedule. Three, I believe, yeah. Yeah, so three games that they've not played um, due to COVID, but uh, the schedule gets super, super tight. Uh, you're talking about, we were talking about playing 56 games in less than 120 days, and now that window grows even shorter uh, where you may potentially have to mix in these three games somewhere where it fits for all, for, for each team and the NHL doesn't have an easy job in trying to fit those games under the, uh, under the restricted schedule, especially if the, uh, if, uh, NBC already has a contract obligation for the Olympics where they have to air that content and the NHL might potentially lose out some revenue, uh, on any of the NBC networks, if any of those games are scheduled for that. season and the start of the postseason for any uh, rescheduled games, you really start running into that issue that this is kind of a lot of games that are going to have to be rescheduled, and I don't know that you know the window that they have is going to end up being enough, especially if things keep going the way they are. As we said before, hopefully with 
everything they're implementing, it'll change things. The no no more games are being postponed, but obviously we'll have to see. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be tough. I mean, you'll, you'll probably end up looking at things kind of like St. Louis and Arizona have had to do, where well their opponents weren't able to play because of these these uh, lockdowns, and so they end up playing each other. But that, as we were talking about off air beforehand, it kind of leads to weird situation where you end up playing the same team like seven times in a row <laughs> it's like okay this is just getting wild now so it, it can it, it's going to be interesting to see that's for sure it's definitely going to be interesting to see and i think uh, uh another former avalanche just had a wicked shot against the columbus blue jacks uh carl soderberg is currently playing with the chicago blackhawks and just had this weird random uh Rister go by uh, the the Columbus goalie. So uh, another former Avalanche player uh, getting on the board tonight for his uh, his current team. Uh, but yeah, I mean that window at the end of the season just becomes smaller and smaller. Uh, like how you're going to reschedule those games. Um, I think the NHL might look at some of these teams and be like, oh, you have three days off before your next game. We're gonna we're gonna fill that middle day off with a game. Um. um Oh, you only have a day off in between, you know, two days off in between games. Well, would you rather play the front half or the or the back end of a of a back to back game? Game. I'm like, you're gonna have to do these things, and uh, yeah. it, it's it's gonna put some pressure on some of these teams. But I think I think the plus side of it for some of these teams is that um, you know the divisions are set to a regional area, so there's not like. Oh, the Avs were supposed to play Boston, but you know Boston. You know, all right, let's fly to Boston real quick. Oh, but you're supposed to play San Jose tomorrow night, so let's fly you from the East Coast to West Coast directly after your game. So thankfully, we don't have to worry about that part of it. But uh, right. travel in of itself doesn't matter if you're you know you're you're flying six hours across the country if you're flying an hour and a half from one state to another. Travel is just so exhausting doesn't matter how far you're traveling or how short the travel is it's just completely right. exhausting and can play a major a major piece on how a, how a team performs the next day uh, speaking of which the the Vegas Golden Knights played earlier today and won that game three to one so they're gonna be on the back to the back end of a back to back tomorrow night when we uh, play them in uh, in Vegas um, so yeah that covers the that topic. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting to see what's going to happen. I, I, for one, I watch the Olympics. I really enjoy it. Um, just seeing what happens out there. And it's about the only time, only time you'll hear me go, go, go team USA, you know? Um, but, uh, it, it's, it's entertaining and it'll be interesting to see how, uh, NBC handles their contractual obligations with both the NHL and the Olympics, um, later this summer. Um, our final piece is more of just a speculation piece for everybody listening, and that is uh, the the going the the ins and outs of the Pittsburgh Penguins right now. Um, as most people know, the Pittsburgh Penguins had their former GM step down and and quit, so they uh, had to replace him. And there's a bit of you know the Battle of Philadelphia. A lot of people are like, well, Pittsburgh fans aren't very happy because they hired. Uh, former Philadelphia Flyer uh, Ron Hextall as their uh, as their new yeah. GM, and a lot of Flyer fans were like, "All right, here we go. Let's tear him down from the inside." And you got Penguins fans going like, "Get that guy out of here. We don't want him here." 
Uh, Ron Hextall, uh, a former goalie for the, I believe he was a former goalie for the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, great player in his time. Um, and he was an assistant GM. I can't remember where he was, but, um, you know, he's trying to make a name for himself as a, as a front office guy now, similar as to what Joe Sackick's doing, has done with the Avalanche, what Rob Blake's doing in LA. Um, you see a lot of former players, you know, go on to be GMs, head coaches, um, assistants, uh, whatever else they might be, just because they love the sport of hockey and they love what they do and they have the knowledge to contribute. So Ron Hextall is taking over as the GM there. The assistant GM for the Colorado Avalanche was also in the running for that position, but it appears that Ron Hextall beat him out just by the tiniest of margins. Uh, that might be his more fam familiarization with the city and the expectations that they have in Pittsburgh. Um, the other hire for them was Brian Burke, who be now becomes the assist or senior vice president of hockey operations for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, there was an article written, uh, I think, this, this time last weekend, talking about the possibilities of the Pittsburgh Penguins trading away their star player, Sidney Crosby. Um, there have been a few teams linked to that. And I believe Adrian Dater came out and said, you know, the Colorado Avalanche sound like that would be a good fit for a number of reasons. One, the most prominent being that Nathan McKinnon and Sidney Crosby are, you know, very familiar with each other. They're really great friends off the ice and they actually train together in the off season. So that leads to the speculation of um, people like myself and you, Greg, of uh, what it might take should a... Uh, a trade come down in the place. We talked a little bit about that off off the air, um, and we both are aware that this is pure pure speculation because um, Hextall and Burke have already both come out and said, "Hey, if we're a competing team, there's no chance we're giving up Sidney Crosby in order to rebuild. He's gonna he'll be that cent he'll be a piece of that rebuild um, if we're being competitive." Um, but if we're not competitive, meaning that the Pittsburgh Penguins absolutely fall flat, don't make the playoffs, and they're just like, all right, we want to speed this up, so Sidney Crosby's going to be that, that, that piece of bait that we throw out there uh, for a big return. You know, what could they get for it? And uh, um, Adrian Dater had stated that um, pieces like Alex Newhook and Bowen Byram and... Uh, some others like Shane Bowers were completely out of the question. So that opens up the speculation. What would it take for the avalanche to potentially get a player like uh Sidney Crosby in the off season? Cause I don't think there's any chance he's getting traded during this season whatsoever. Yeah, I agree. Um, it'll, it's definitely interesting. This is actually, this one hits really close for me. Sidney Crosby has been my, my favorite player since I was a little kid. Um, Pittsburgh Penguins are my second favorite team. So it's it's interesting to see everything that's going on over there. But I just, I, I don't know. You know, a lot of it will, will come down to contracts and, and figuring out the ins and outs of the money side of it. Um, I know one of the ones that we had talked about was uh, the idea of uh, Nazem Kadri and um, who was the other one on that? Uh, Eric Johnson was the other one on that one. Kadri and Johnson right. in exchange for... Uh, for Sidney Crosby. Yeah. Something like that is... It's enticing, I would say. Um, 
especially as, as we've seen Kadri's success here in Colorado. He's he's become a, a very enticing player for teams around the league. Um, getting another leader in Eric Johnson. Obviously, trading leader for leader is always kind of a, a good idea when you're in a position as uh, Brian Burke and, and Ron Hextall are. Um, that's something that, that I I could see being a, a potential for. Um, and, and really, the big thing is going to come down to how uh, Pittsburgh performs for the rest of the season. Because as we were saying, there's, there's no way you're going to be trading someone of, of Crosby's caliber if you're still doing well. You know, there's there's no reason for that to be even on the table. The only way that it will will be put on the table and even be an option is if there's just a complete collapse and they admit, okay, we're hitting a rebuild stage. So this is a team that's just a, a couple years removed from back-to-back Stanley Cups and a, a you know dynasty of the, the mid-2010s. Um, so I don't see... A, a big, you know, kind of panic mode setting in yet. Um, I feel like these signings with, with Ron Hextall and Brian Burke, they, they signal a kind of that, that first stage of panic, in, in my opinion, that, okay, we, we have some issues here. We need to figure out what's going on. But at least on paper, when you look at what Hextall and, and Burke have done, you know, they, they've kind of been instrumental in creating and nurturing very winning environments for multiple teams. Um, Burke himself won the, the Stanley Cup in 2007 with the as GM of the Anaheim Ducks. Um, he was massive in getting Chris Pronger to go to that team to be able to, to push them over that edge that they needed. Um, he's also the one that signed the Sedin Twins up in Vancouver. Yep. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about someone who, who knows what it takes to get big players and knows what it takes to, to get – dominant players to play at high levels same with Ron Hextall and he he didn't have the best of time as GM for the the Flyers from 2014 to 2018 uh, before he got fired there but he was actually the the assistant GM with the Los Angeles Kings when they won the Stanley Cup in 2012 so these guys have winning pedigrees you know on top of Hextall being the absolute elite goaltender that he was for for years in the late 80s and early 90s you know these guys know what it takes and so it's to me, it's the signaling of, okay, there's a little bit of panic, but we are dedicated to winning. You know, we're dedicated to figuring out what the issues are that we're facing because we, we want to bring these guys in to say, hey, this is where things need to change. You know, you have a, a core of Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang. I mean, they're, they're definitely up there in age for sure, but these are still players who play to an elite level. Yeah. Right? You don't really see them missing a step almost ever when you watch their games. And so it's it, it's so enticing as people like Hextall and, and Burke to, you know, kind of get the, the phone call saying, hey, you want to come come help us here? To say, hell yeah, I want to have a team that has Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. Like, of course. Um, the, the big thing to me that I thought was really interesting was some rumors and speculations that seem to be, seem to have some weight to them. Uh, according to a lot of sources throughout the NHL, that they're looking at trying to get Marc-Andre Fleury back from the, the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, it, it would be really hard for them because Fleury's had a pretty good year, and he's currently at 5-1 uh, this season. He's got a 1-6-8 goals against, a 9-2-9 save percentage, so he's he's playing pretty darn well. But as we saw what happened last year, kind of is, is burning little bridges. And I don't know if it's necessarily his fault, but 
especially his his agent with the the posting of that uh, photoshopped image of him being stabbed in the back by uh, Peter DeBurr. Yeah. So it, you know, there's there's some there's some weight there, kind of say, all right, yeah, he might not be the most loved in Vegas, and everybody knows what he did in Pittsburgh. So, you know, this is this is huge, especially with Hexall being a goalie. I mean, that's I'm sure that's exactly where he's looking because. You know, Pittsburgh's been struggling in the goalie department. They have Tristan Jari right now who, who beat out Matt Murray for the, the starting position, who Matt Murray beat out Marc-Andre Fleury. So, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy to see what's going on there. But, yeah, Tristan, he only has two wins in seven games. Uh, his goals against right now is a 3.95. Save percentage is 8.57. So, definitely not good numbers there. Yeah, not, not looking also, not looking good for Jari over there in, uh, in Pittsburgh. And, uh, like you said, Ryan Hextall being a former goalie himself, he's gonna, he he's he's not gonna sit by and be like, well, you know, it is what it is. No, being a former goalie, like seeing somebody something like that happening in net, you're just like, no, I I, I can't sit back and watch this happen anymore. I've got to be active. I got to go find somebody that's gonna step up and uh, kind of solidify what's going on because if your defense is playing lights out in front of you and you're just not stopping these pucks that are going in and from what I understand, some of the goals that Jari has let in have been super soft goals from time to time. And it's like those are stops you've got to make as an NHL goaltender, uh, especially Absolutely. if you're a team that uh, sees themselves as being competitive and constantly being a playoff-caliber type team like the Pittsburgh Penguins are. Um, and with the, with, the, uh, with the up-and-coming movement of teams like the uh, Philadelphia Flyers, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes and the Eastern Conference and stuff like that, Pittsburgh's got to step it up if they want to continue to be relevant, uh, which are great points that you've made right there. Um, we didn't get to all the uh, the speculation rumors around Sidney Crosby. Um, Kadri and Johnson are one of those packages deals. Uh, we spoke off, off the uh, podcast about um, one that seems like a lot, but in return for what you're getting, it honestly isn't. Uh, that's uh, JT Comfer, Ryan Graves, Eric Johnson, and a first-round pick. Um, all in all, uh, it's a, it's a $12 million, $12 million package with the players that the abs are giving up. Plus that first round pick, which would be a late pick. And then getting, uh, somebody like Crosby in return, who's, uh, still on a contract that doesn't end until, uh, the year, um, the end of the 2025 season. Uh, so nice package and stuff to, um, uh, if we were to go that route, but again, this is all speculation, and it totally depends on what uh, happens with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, they're not in any hurry to move on from their star player, and Crosby is a Penguin for life, uh, in my opinion. Uh, but we're running short on time on this podcast. We've been doing this for about an hour now, uh, which uh, is absolutely amazing. I'm looking forward to seeing the Avalanche in, in uh, uh, play tomorrow again. For It's been way too long for that. Um in parting words, I will say this. Um, let's enjoy hockey for what it is and enjoy what we have. Um, as we've seen, you know, COVID is affecting everybody and uh, makes that time very, very precious. Uh, any parting words from you, Greg, before we get off here? Uh, I got to agree with that. Hockey has been a nice distraction to the, the kind of crazy realities that we deal with with life on a day-to-day basis. Um, yeah, just be good to each other. Yeah, we're all humans, and uh, we all share this planet one way or another. So, Absolutely. Um, so this is going to be Scott and Greg signing off of this podcast. 
Um, please join us next week, and hopefully we'll have some good news to talk about with the Avalanche uh, game. We should be covering the Lake Tahoe game because it should be completed by the time we do this podcast next weekend. Uh, and for that, that's all we got for you this week on In the Crease. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Have a great one. Stay warm out there, and let's go abs. Let's kick some butt tomorrow. Thank you.